Philanthropy Impact podcast. Listen on for insights into philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability. Welcome everyone to another session of Walking My Shoes, where today our board member, Keris Gardner, will be discussing the topic policies and resources with our expert panel. My name is Sophia Sahanik and I'm the Director of Membership and Development at Philanthropy Impact and the moderator of this series, which has been established to support you, the trusted professional advisor, in giving your clients best practice advice, both in their philanthropy journeys and their purpose-driven wealth strategies. It is important that you're empowered with knowledge for your clients, but it is equally important that you understand where to signpost to and where to find trusted partners for your clients. I just want to quickly highlight that given we are now back to facilitating our popular in-person networking events, we will be holding the Walking My Shoes live sessions every other Monday. I'll be sending a save the day out at the start of each month to members so you can put them in your diary and we'll continue to send you the links just before the sessions. Please remember I'm on hand to help you make the most of your membership with us. Do get in touch today via the chat or my email will be available at the end of the session for those watching the recording on YouTube. I am also the person to talk to if you'd like to know more about Philanthropy Impact certified and CC endorsed unique training sessions in meeting the needs of next gen clients and how to maximize client satisfaction when looking at values driven impact strategies. As always, we'll be keeping this session to strictly 30 minutes. We do encourage you to use the chat to introduce yourself and share your LinkedIn, make comments and also post questions to the panel if you have them. This leads me to fully introduce our chair for today. It's Keris Gardner, who's the par a partner at Morris Turner Gardner. Keris is also chair of our Public Affairs Committee. Joining Keris, we welcome fellow board member, Kath Dovey, who's the co-founder of the Beacon Collaborative, and Pippa Garland, partner at Russell Cook, and Nicole Sykes, director of policy and communications at Probo Economics, who we are collaborating with on this, collaborating with what a word. Okay, thank you all for joining us today. And I will hand over now to you, Karis, to make a start. Thank you very much. Thank you very much uh, indeed, Zafia. Um, welcome everybody. Thank you very much for joining the webinar today. Um, we hope that you'll go, go away with a lot of food for thought because we've certainly been um, thinking hard about this for you. Um, remember that the vision, shall we say, of philanthropy impact is, and I will read it out because it's not easy to get your tongue around. John can do it better than me, I think. Um, it's a world where individuals and families engage in values-driven investment and philanthropy supported by professional advisors. And our, our mission is actually to increase philanthropic giving, but with the help of and support of professional advisors. So that's really where we are coming from. And the webinar today is intended to investigate how by collaborating with government, by improving, introducing new policies that might help to enhance, grow philanthropic giving, that we might be able to uh, achieve one major um, incentive, which is to increase the quantity of philanthropic giving from all sectors of society. Now, I say that it's not meant to be a glib comment, but it's meant to say that there's been a lot of work done in terms of statistics recently uh, showing that uh, philanthropy of, of charitable donations as a whole have actually been decreasing, not increasing uh, over the years. Um, and 
if, even, even despite the COVID increase, uh, the, the trend seems to be downwards. Now, I'm happy to be corrected on that if, uh, you know, for example, Nicole or Kath know differently, but it depends on which reports you read as to where where philanthropy is heading at the moment. So one, the very first thing we have to do is stop that downward trend, it seems to me. And of course, the whole purpose of uh, the talk today is can we find some policy incentives to help increase uh, philanthropic giving across the board? So um, without more ado, I'll, I'll start uh, with a few questions because we have such an expert panel here that uh, it would be a shame for me to do any more talking than I have to. So um, we're just starting with the very general question, um, Nicole, perhaps you'd like to start us off. What are some of the key issues that, that um, and solutions that government working in partnership with philanthropists, social and impact investors um, need to address working with the third sector? What's your sort of view on that? Uh, yeah, that is a that is a broad question. Um, and I think it's fair to say that um, sort of if you look at the relationship between government and, and the third sector and, and philanthropy, it's very broad because the social sector does have an impact on pretty much everything. Um, if you want to improve uh, jobs and, and getting people back to work at this moment in time, one of the biggest barriers is mental health. So you need charities that are great at mental health and employment, um, which, which we have rather than services. If you're looking at the NHS um, and the backlogs and stuff that it's, that it's struggling with, again, charities have a pivotal role to play. Um, if you're looking at the environment and, and solving climate change, you know, there, is no, there is no issue in summary that, that government wants to solve, that charities and, and, and philanthropists aren't also working on themselves. Um, and in many cases, they work very, very constructively together, both at national government level and at local government level. However, um, I think we probably see three challenges in that relationship. We did um, a big survey, um, surveying MPs, councillors and civil servants had about 600 respondents last year. Um, and we identified three challenges. And one is a knowledge gap um, on both sides of the fence that sort of charities and community groups don't understand enough about the structures and processes for policymaking. So they struggle to make the biggest impact that they can. And then also that many policymakers don't understand how charities and philanthropy work. Mm. Secondly is, is around skepticism around evidence and campaigning and, and also some skepticism around the quality of services that charities deliver. Um, so really a lot of emphasis around how can charities improve their, their measurement and, and their evidence and, and trust in that. Um, and then there are some, I'd say, some genuine disagreements between um, some bits of the policymaker kind of world, particularly, I would say, around conservative MPs, about the role of charities in campaigning if they receive public funds, and that being quite a, a touchstone issue in, in, in many cases. So very important on every issue, but, but there are some challenges that need to be overcome to really make the most out of the potential policymakers and charities have when working together. Thank you. Um, Kath, did you have anything to add to that? I think that's an excellent summary. No, I think that's absolutely right. And, and obviously a lot of our work is focusing on, on the knowledge gap and uh, knowledge gap, not just between charities and government, but between philanthropists and charities and philanthropists and government. You know, each side needs to know what the other does and what it can do and how they can work together. It seems to mm. me to be fairly fundamental to how do we move forward with collaboration. Thank you. Pippa, did you want to add anything from the perspective of the professional advisor? Because, of course, uh, what you and I see as professional advisors can be a, a different perspective, again, from, um, you know, the pro bono economics and beacon collaborative perspectives. 
Yeah, and I, I suppose the general point is there are so many issues at the moment. It's almost a bit overwhelming when you sit down, and you think, what are the list of, of issues? Mm. Um, and I'd agree with Nicole's point about there are some very successful partnerships out there where charities are really getting their voices heard. But in terms of that knowledge gap, speaking as a professional advisor, sometimes interacting with government can be quite daunting and very uh, cost intensive, both time and, for example, legal cost, you know, going through that procurement process, um, you need a lot of specialist knowledge, it's often very uh, tight, tight turnaround time, so you can't necessarily get into partnerships. And to go through, for example, you know, government terms and conditions on overseas aids, you, you need legal advice. And it's perhaps um, a less familiar way of working to some charities that can um, enjoy quite informal collaborations with, with other, for example, charity partners, going through that very uh, regulated, highly legalistic um, way of working. I think that that can add as a bar act as a barrier as well. I think, Nicole, picking up on your points about some of the... Um, the views perhaps of some MPs about charities and the role they play in civil society. I think I think that's right. I think charities are being targeted by a few, uh, particularly to be honest, conservative MPs at the moment, if they kind of speak up. Um, I think we saw recently Maternity Action, their chief executive um, had some tweets about the scope of an advisory board that they've been invited onto by the government and they swiftly got uninvited. So understanding that key role that charity plays and has always always played in speaking up on societal issues and the relationship that uh, has with with government and the government of the day I think is perhaps silencing charities as well and, and inhibiting that kind of free partnership between them. Yeah it's very interesting so it sounds as though the um, uh, the levers of government shall we say also need educating uh, the other way so that um, they're not <laughs> dissing um, comments from charities when it doesn't suit their political purposes because um, you know this this is that is not the point of philanthropy and charity but but obviously we should be able to speak truth to power um, and I've always believed in that. Um, so how should charities engage with policymakers then? What, 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 what would be your, uh, your recommendations, Nicole? Do you have a, uh, a view on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the point on evidence is really important and the more you can bring evidence um, to the table. Um, but I think it's fair to say that different kinds of policymaker need to be engaged with in different ways and deal with information differently. So civil servants, for example, love a report. If you've got a nice quotable statistic in a report that they can pull into their briefing, that works for them. You know, you've got to think about what's important for them, briefing their minister, there we go. Um, and they also really value one-to-one -one conversations, you know, behind closed doors, um, so that everyone can be frank and, and, and share information both ways. And, and they really put a lot of value on, on the importance of long-term relationships, which, which they sometimes can build, but sometimes move too fast out of a job in order to be able to. Um, if you look at MPs, you know, there are differences between Conservative and, and Labour MPs on this. Um, Conservative MPs, their favourite way to be um, uh, engaged with a charity is at an event. Um, Labour MPs uh, actually spend a lot of time on charities' websites, apparently. Um, uh, according to our polling, that's, that's, that's where they get most of their information from. Um, so I think it differs between them. The one thing I would say is um, it is all about targeting with MPs. It's how can you make this relevant to their constituency? and to the stated interests that um, they have. They are very, very strongly against 38 degrees style um, uh, emails and, and blitz campaigns. I'm not gonna lie that, that some, some of those campaigns are effective, 
Mm. But I think the system is now so overwhelmed with them that sometimes they can undermine your ability to um, to make an impact. So being targeted in, in who you're reaching out to and make it relevant to their constituencies is, is, is the advice I'd give charities looking to looking to campaign. Thank you. Kath, I know you've had a lot of uh, dealings with um, political, <laughs> um, the political side of things, um, government representatives and so on. What would you say in terms of how best charities might engage in this area? It's interesting. So Nicole talks about how charities might engage with government. I suppose my work's been trying to figure out how government might engage with charities. <laughs> you know, there are two areas where there are, you know, real potential for collaboration. One is in place-based. You know, we know that government is interested in levelling up. Well, you know, surprise, surprise, social impact organisations also want to see fairer, better society across the whole of the nation. So we have a lot of interest. We have potentially a shared vision. You know, there's lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So what could we do collectively, you know, government and charities and local authorities, local community groups and philanthropy to work together in places is something that we've put a lot of effort into. And the other area is, is thematic. Um, you know, we all have a shared common interest and concern about climate. Now, is it possible that government could potentially incentivize more giving to that issue by offering some kind of match funding capability? And you could see that working in any thematic area. But again, we know that match funding works. It's It's been proven in the UK to have a long lasting a dynamic change in the way that um, charities can raise funding and, and it's another way of aligning everyone's interest around a common theme. So I think the key thing is if you want to get that collaboration in place, you have to identify those areas of common interest and recognise that everyone comes with a slightly different agenda, but that the vision is shared and the purpose is shared and therefore there should be enough ground that we can tap into create effective partnerships. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea of match funding. Um, are there any other recommendations that um, you've come up with, either Beacon or um, Pro Bono Economics or PIPA have you, that you've come across to um, help in this area? Uh, for example, I know we, the professional advisors, always talk about tax incentives and whether you wanted to have a quick word about that while we've got a, moment, a few moments, uh, Pippa. Yeah, so I think... Um... I suppose I probably see tax incentives as more of a, a nudge. Um, so they should be uh, incentivizing, but they're never going to be the, the driving factor, I don't think. If someone's going to give away £100, but they'll get uh, £40, but they've still given away £60, um, they're never going to be better off through mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. Some of the charges I find levels at philanthropy, I find particularly frustrating along those lines. You know, They're just doing it for the tax advantages. Um, so in a way, I don't like to concentrate too, too much on the tax incentives. Having said that, I do think there are some ways in which uh, it could be tweaked. So I think with social investment in particular, the, the tax, tax advantages are, are not, not well understood, um, including by many professional advisors. Um, and there are potentials, I think, to, to bring things across. I know um, uh, the re charity remainder gift is an idea that's been floated for a while, and that would essentially allow someone to to give away money, but also be able to benefit from it. And I think when we're seeing at the moment, people feeling increasingly um, uncomfortable on edge about their own personal financial positions, they're going to be more um, reluctant to give money away. And, and what can we do to, to counteract that? Hmm. Yeah, I suppose what everyone on the listening in to the webinar today would love to know is how do we actually get government 
whichever department we're talking about here to listen and take on board what we're saying and our recommendations uh, in all of this. Does anyone have any ideas? Kath, you, you were nodding your head, as was Nicole. And, and I know you both are very experienced in this area. Nicole, I'm going to defer to you on this one and then pick up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I would say there are four key things. And if I get to the end of the sentence and remember all four, then we'll be doing well. But mm-hmm. um, number one is your evidence. Um, uh, realistically, if you think about the process of how it works, if you come with a proposal, the next question that's always going to come from civil service or, or from government is, what's the benefit it's going to have? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do I stand this up to the Treasury? In terms of in terms of the cost implications, so number one is is your evidence. Um, I think two is your relationship, and you will always have more impact with government if you have spent a long time building up that relationship. That's very hard to do, and as as Pippa mentioned earlier, it's very investment heavy. Um, uh, but relationships is how how the world works. Um, third, I would say is the community that you build and the support that you have um, uh, for your proposal. If you're coming in as a as a solo flyer um your proposal better be great um but they're always going to like the next the next step of a proposal is is to go out and consult on it and that's what government will do and if if the people who that proposal would affect or are meant to benefit turn around and have never heard of it or or think it's a nonsense then government is going to be much more skeptical um about what you're doing Mm. um and the fourth the fourth thing I, i i would i would really stress is that understanding of what is important to government right now um, and again, that is resource intensive to be monitoring and understanding the, the nuances within government. And, and they're always going to change and they change with every reshuffle. And you have to be very agile. Um, but, you know, for example, we're talking about tax tax incentives um, making the case to Treasury right now about tax incentives. You're going to have to be incredibly aware of, of the financial pressure that they're under and, and do everything that you can to explain where that might, money might come from and, and, and really like what are the benefits that can be had because I can't emphasize enough that there is a lot of skepticism within Treasury about the incentives that we already have. Um, so asking for more, particularly when you've had stuff like the social investment tax relief, which, which was very unsuccessful, um, you do have an uphill battle and you need to make sure that you have all of those factors in place and you're putting it in their language and, and you understand the stresses and challenges that money is always under. Yes, absolutely. But, but I know it's a major battle because, you know, whenever um, any uh, you hear of anyone who's tried to get anything through to government, um, it's been very difficult. And if it does get as far as being read or onto the desk of somebody, it tends to be kicked into the long grass. What, what, is, what is your experience? Or how would you how could how could you sort of say we could address these challenges if you if you have any ideas on that? Gosh, I think I'm going to have to defer on this one. I think I think reading, <laughs> like listening to Nicole, you, you realise, you know, this is quite a specialist area. And to, to say to a charity, right, off you go, let's get this on someone's mm-hmm. desk. It, it is a long term investment. And, you know, do you need to bring in external advisors or hire someone who's got this specific mm. yep. knowledge within your charity? Because otherwise it feels like, yes, you rely on contacts and connections, but in in this age of uh, increasing awareness of kind of equality of access, that feels quite uncomfortable to just say it's just about connections. You know, who's realistically got those connections to 
people yeah. in power it's going to be a certain type of person so yeah yes. I'm throwing it back to Nicole and Kath I'm afraid on that one <laughs> well you're a lucky charity indeed if you have a connection on your board for example on your board of trustees yeah. or something of that nature uh, who could actually um, in- intervene for you in some way but Kath I know we've talked before about um, the idea of perhaps a philanthropy commissioner would that be at all helpful do you think if we had like one point of contact that uh, some who would who genuinely had as his or her portfolio um, the um, requirement to make sure that philanthropy, social impact, investment impact is genuinely um, looked at, embedded in, uh, woven into um, the fabric of all government departments. Is that something that might help work? Or, or are we sort of, is it, is it wishful thinking on this point? Well, who knows if it's wishful thinking, but the idea would be that it would have someone in the civil service. So Mm -hmm. commissioner is a kind of catch all term, but Mm -hmm. somebody who can take it as their role to understand Mm -hmm. philanthropy and giving and how that interacts with the charity sector and what is the role of incentives. And actually, I would go beyond incentives, Pippa. I'd say, you know, incentives are just one part of the package of enablement that we need. Uh, We don't have a regime for philanthropy in the UK. We have a regime for charitable giving. And so philanthropists have to fit within that regime and that creates challenges and frictions and problems. And, you know, can someone help us to look at those challenges? You know, if we were able within, um, you know, within the civil service to get somebody who has the responsibility for understanding this stuff, then perhaps if we wanted to get match funding off the ground, they could liaise with whichever department and with Treasury to help us to develop that kind of scheme. Or indeed, if, you know, if there were, um, you know, issues within the regulatory environment where it would be helpful to get the Charity Commission and the FCA together at the same table, you know, somebody with that convening power who can do it. So that's the concept. It's an enabling role within the civil service. In some ways, it kind of goes back to where we were with the cabinet office a few years ago. Um, But, you know, the idea is we need someone who has that long term view. So it has to be within the civil service. And and to, to, to Nicole's point, you know, this is about relationships. And as Pippa says, it's very hard for charities to build those relationships. They don't have the resource to build long-term relationships and monitor the nuances of what's changing in government. So can we get a point of contact where that doesn't change, where there is consistency and hopefully channel some of the the sort of broader um, goals, aspirations, hopes, dreams, but importantly, you know, potential transformative interventions through a single office within the civil service. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you, Nicole, uh, well, all of you actually. Do you think me- the media might have a, a role to play in all of this, in terms of bringing this or philanthropy, whatever you want to call it, uh, to the attention of um, those in power? Is that a is that a, a way forward potentially? Well, my view on the media is that you know the responsibility of media in the context of philanthropy has always been to hold people to account mm. and you see that in the narrative around philanthropy that's developing in 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 the uk press mm. you know where the media and government interaction could be quite positive is for example if through a philanthropy commissioner or through you know greater attention to philanthropy from from government then this becomes part of the national conversation and that's what gets reflected in media not purely the holding to account role that of course is kind of central to the way that the media operates mm, yeah, i see what you mean nicole did you have have anything on that you wanted to say uh, yeah I'm, I'm aware that pip has come off me as well but um oh sorry uh, sorry <laughs> no, no not at all um yes yeah, so firstly i think um the media absolutely does 
um, have a role to play, and I'd, I'd support everything that Kath just said. Um, what's interesting is trying to find a space within the media to think about it, because there's no newspaper editor or correspondent sitting there thinking, oh, I must write about philanthropy because that's an important part mm. of, of my job. And mm. it crosses a lot, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier, it crosses a lot of news desks. Um, social affairs might, might care about it. Um, uh, economics, if you try really hard um, uh, and, and your means might just, um, or, or you're working on the stuff that, that we do, really making that economic case, they might just bite. Um, uh, parts of, you know, FT advisor may take stuff around wealth advisors, it's, but it's, it's a very challenging environment. No one is writing regularly about this stuff. Um, mm. So is it, it, that, that sort of lack of, lack of people um, and, and also then lack of experience um uh, so sort of the the yeah. news desk understanding of philanthropy is very limited to stuff like jk rowling gives a lot of money to charities you know it's, it's very celebrity based um mm. so making stuff that's urgent and people-based and and newsworthy making philanthropy newsworthy is hard mm. good point pippa sorry to uh <laughs> go the wrong way at that point <laughs> no, no, not at all i think probably just echoing you know my experiences with the media and charity and philanthropy at the moment is almost wholly negative um and it comes into my advice with charities now number one is almost daily mail sniff test is this going to be a headline because if it is going to be a headline it will be negative because that's the way journalists view the media at the moment and where there's a negative press story there's often a negative regulatory um, intervention as well so at the moment that's how I see the media bringing in power it's it's almost in a wholly negative way mm. um, the, this Sunday there was the uh, the giving list um, alongside the sometimes uh, rich list more things like that kind of I suppose highlighting and celebrating generosity but also what what does generous look like in the UK and getting an understanding of that across to people I think might be helpful in terms of motivating giving you know oh gosh everyone else gives three percent I need to give that as well I mean unfortunately that's not the figure I saw I think if you gave just 0.5 percent it got you into the top 50 on Sunday's list so right <laughs> okay I see John has appeared oops Watch out. <laughs> That's not that bad. <laughs> we're in trouble. Um, that, was, that was really excellent. Uh, we're just barely scratching the surface. There's That's so it, much absolutely. to discuss. I, I mean, it's so important that the third sector, charities, etc., and government work together, along with the corporate sector, and uh, along with regulators and stuff like that. I think that's really essential. One side that you didn't mention, I think, is uh, the fact that the third sector really needs to build its capacity to campaign. I mean, I've worked with probably a couple of hundred charities before I joined Philanthropy Impact, and um, the ability to campaign was up and down. Um, and it was, and, and so I think there's issues around building capacity and that kind of thing. The other thing that's, uh, I should have participated in this, shouldn't I? Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is the role of patriotic billionaires and the other side of this, which is also around taxation. So uh, thank you very much, um, uh, Karis, uh, Pippa, and Colin Kath. I'm going to do, uh, could you do final words of wisdom for 30 seconds, if that's okay? So let's start with Nicole. No pressure, no pressure. Um, I. I guess I would mostly say that like um, the Law Family Commission on Civil Society has a lot of evidence in this space. We've obviously only just scratched the surface, but um, there are several reports on our website um, that, that have a lot of evidence that will help you campaign if that's where you want to start. Great, thank you. Um, Kath? 
<laughs> Thanks, John. I'm going to go back to Keris's original question around policies that will increase giving. And I think the thing that I would just keep pointing out is that we have a systemic challenge with increasing giving in the UK and policy is only one part of it. So it's a very important part. It is it is the part that could potentially get things moving. Um, but once we've got you know more effective campaigning in place, then we need to be able to back that up with other kinds of intervention that will make things happen. Yeah, and I think to add to that, we really have to get professional advisors on side to support their clients on their donor journey and on their impact ESG journeys and stuff as well. That, I think that would add a lot of value to the whole process. Uh, Pippa. Um, I suppose more just celebrating everyone else's words of wisdom. I think, you know, I've learned a lot. Everyone will have learned a lot. And I think one of the things, my takeaways is that this is a really specialist area um, on the ground and, and legally, you know, I'm thinking we've got all these bills coming through election, the election bill, the police courts and sentencing, the environment, the media environment, the political environment doesn't seem to be encouraging charities campaign, but there is knowledge out there if you uh, do want to go into this area. As the legal advisor, I'd say minute everything very carefully in case the regulator does come knocking as a result of a negative media story. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Karis, the final word to you and then over to Zofia. Well, reverting to um, philanthropy impacts uh, raison d'etre here, uh, which is to educate uh, professional advisors in uh, supporting their um, philanthropically minded clients. Um, one of the things I would, would say is I would need more, I would love to have more information about the uh, campaigning uh, that charities should be getting involved with and how they get involved in campaigning and if that's through beacon uh, pro bono economics then great because you know that's that's a way forward um i saw from pro bono economics website that um they help charities understand and improve their impact and value in their work and i think the more that we can all starting with with from my uh, my angle philanthropic uh, professional advisors to philanthropists um then you know i think we should all be working together in collaboration to get this working not sort of in our little individual pods so collaboration is my is my theme great thank you karis kath pippa and nicole uh that was terrific um can we have another hour sophia <laughs> oh okay over to you Hello. then um, yeah, thank you. I just need to say sorry to anyone who's watching the recording who wasn't able to make the live event today because we had some technical issues with the link. Um, hopefully those of you that were able to attend have enjoyed it. Um, it won't happen again, I promise. Uh, I think that's quite good after this long. I, was like, well, I think we're at 80 sessions now that that's the first time that's happened. Um, I've, so I've said that we're going back to two weeks, uh, going to be doing this from every other Monday now so that's from the 1st of June so actually I do have a walk in my shoes coming up on Monday the 30th and we're looking at um, digital giving innovative ways to for philanthropists to be giving um, thank you guys it will be shared far and wide within our network so people will get to see this on the recording on YouTube thank you very much and thank have you. a great week thank you everybody bye. thanks for being on the panel bye all thanks bye. for watching thank you all bye.